Hi everyone, it's Stu here, your dulcet-toned podcast host. Are you tired of ads interrupting your favourite true crime podcast? British Murders, of course. I mean, who needs a 60-second detour when you're in the midst of an immensely well-told story? The irony of this being an ad isn't lost on me, but I wanted to let you know that you can listen to British Murders completely ad-free by signing up for a Patreon membership. For as little as £3 per month, you'll get early access to ad-free episodes as well as a heap of other benefits. I've got a fair few bonus episodes you can sink your teeth into and every Monday I drop a new episode of the British Murders Weekly Journal. If you enjoy exclusive giveaways, my Patreon has those too. Head to patreon.com slash British Murders and choose either my OBE or KBE slash DBE tier to rid yourself of those pesky adverts. Plus, you'll be helping support your favourite podcast so that I can offer you even more content going forward. I'd say that I'll shut up now, but you've got the rest of the episode to listen to. Back to you, Stu. This podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are now listening to British Brothers. The Full Cry Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast focusing exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is the 6th episode of season 12. Before we get into it, let's break the ice. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this. True facts that sound like bullshit. Did you know that despite being 115 times bigger than Bangladesh, Russia has a lower population? Current estimates have Bangladesh's population as being just short of 173 million, whereas Russia's is around 144.5 million. Now it's time for the show's final opening icebreaker segment. Random quote of the day. Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. That was said by Maya Angelou. It was an anonymous listener that requested this case via the contact form at britishmurders.com. We're in the village of Cam this week, C-A-M, located within the southwest England county of Gloucestershire. It's located 0.8 miles north of Dursley, 26 miles west of Swindon, with a D, not a T this time, and 94 miles west of London. Here are five quickfire facts about Cam. Number one. The first written record of Cam is in the Doomsday Book 1086. The original spelling was Kama, C-A-M-M-A, which is Celtic and pre-Christian in origin, possibly meaning river in the valley. Number two, Cam's history is closely associated with the woolen industry, with several old mills still in existence. Number three, the Cotswold Way runs less than a mile from the village, and it's proud to be the home of Cam and Dursley Station. Number four, a battle was apparently fought in Cam in the time of Edward the Elder, so we're talking the very late 9th or early 10th century. It was fought between the Danes and the Saxons. And number five, the parish church of St George is a grade one listed building in Cam registered with Historic England. It was constructed primarily in the 14th century. According to the 2021 census, Cam's estimated population is 8,520. Given this story's events, I felt it only logical to open the episode by discussing knife crime. 
If you live outside of the UK, you might not be aware that we Brits are currently living in the midst of what a lot of people are calling a knife crime epidemic. It seems like every single day the news is reporting on the death of a youngster, typically a teenage boy, who's been stabbed to death by one of his peers. I had never heard of the term zombie knife until very recently, but my god, is it frightening when you see images of the weapons some of today's youth feel the need to carry around with them at all times. The logic behind carrying such devastating weapons is supposedly for protection. It seems like a vicious cycle. Someone gets threatened with a knife, so they decide to carry a knife of their own. Then someone gets stabbed and killed, leading to more people carrying knives to protect themselves and repeat. Around a month ago, I recall seeing actor Idris Elba on the news promoting his Don't Stop Your Future campaign. To highlight the issue of knife crime, he was spoken to by various news outlets as he stood by a symbolic display at Parliament Square in Westminster, London. On a small patch of grass lay more than 200 perfectly folded bundles of clothing representing just some of the young lives lost to knife crime. So each bundle was made up of clothes from a victim of knife crime and there was over 200. It was harrowing. If you get a chance to see an image of him standing by the clothes, it'll likely bring a tear to your eye. I took the liberty of compiling some key stats around this hot topic, which may shock you, because they certainly did me. The most recent report I could find was published on October 13th, 2023, by the House of Commons Library. Between 2022 and 23, there were around 50,500 offences involving a sharp instrument in England and Wales, that's excluding Devon and Cornwall. That's 4.7% higher than in 2021-22, but also 7% lower than in 2019-20. The main offences involving a knife or sharp instrument recorded in 22-23 were assault with injury and intent to cause serious harm and robbery, accounting for 48.4% and 41.5% respectively. Regarding homicides, the latest data for the year ending March 2022 suggests there were 218 involving a knife or sharp instrument. The highest number of homicides using a sharp instrument between 1977 and 2022 was 282, recorded in the year ending March 2022. That accounted for 41% of all homicides. Over the last decade, 38% of homicides involved a sharp instrument. Males are typically the victims of homicide involving a knife or sharp instrument, with 44% being killed by such a method. The percentage of female victims is 32%. Perhaps what's most concerning is the data about young people, by which I mean teenagers. In the year ending March 2018, which is the most recent data available, 6.5% of 10-15 to 15 year olds, so even younger than teenagers, were said to know someone who carried a knife. When it comes to charges for the possession of a knife or an offensive weapon, children aged 10 to 17 were the offenders in 18% of cases, 1-8. Those within that age range, referred to as juveniles in the report, had a 7% custody rate and a 31% caution rate. Adults, by comparison, had a 35% custody rate and a 31% caution rate. Juveniles received a community sentence in 56% of cases, the adult rate was 17%. And it's with that that we move on to this week's story. 
Joshua Hall was born in September 2003 and was affectionately known to those close to him as Josh. Welcomed to the world by his doting parents, Kirsty and Michael, Joshua would soon take on the role of Big Brother when little Elijah, fondly referred to as Eli, was born in the mid-2010s. Taken to the role like a duck to water, Joshua was idolised by Elijah, and for good reason. Those fortunate enough to have known Joshua spoke of his ability to brighten any room he walked into, regardless of the mood before he entered. He had an innate ability to put a smile on people's faces, so much so that it was impossible to stay mad at him for more than a few seconds. One look at his cheeky face and infectious smile would instantly make you forget what he'd just done moments earlier, such was his charisma and charm. A funny lad, Joshua was, as far as I can tell, the life and soul of the party. One of his favourite pastimes was heading to the local skate park with his mates to try out new tricks on their scooters. Whether or not they landed the trick was irrelevant. Just being out together, having a laugh and enjoying their youth, that was the most important thing. Growing up, Joshua shared a special bond with his mum. As he grew older and became more independent, their relationship became less like parent and child and more like close friends. They regularly walked the family dog together, messaged frequently, and even had a heartwarming nightly routine where they'd spend a dedicated 10 minutes or so together whilst Michael put Elijah to bed. Such tranquil moments will have meant the absolute world to Kirsty, and she no doubt used the thought of those brief encounters to help her get through some of the more difficult days she may have experienced. It was something to look forward to. A quality that stood out to me whilst researching Joshua's background was his empathy. In the aftermath of the tragic events which I'll come on to shortly, a wave of people contacted Kirsty and Michael to tell stories of how Joshua had helped them get through some dark times. He had time for everyone and was happy to be an outlet for those who were struggling. If anyone ever needed a shoulder to cry on, he'd be there for them. So many people's lives were made better because Joshua was in them, which makes this story all the more upsetting. At school, Joshua was doing extremely well. An intelligent lad, he had plans to take his career down the creative media path, the subject he chose to study at college. 17 years old at the time of this story, Joshua had begun to learn how to drive. He also had a girlfriend, with whom he hoped to share his bright future. Kirsty and Michael have said they were confident that Joshua would have excelled in any chosen career path, and given how valuable he was to his peers as a teenager, one can only imagine how much happiness he'd have brought to others as an adult. Sadly, all those future prospects would be taken away from him within the space of two minutes during Easter of 2021. That year, the two-week Easter break for schools in England began on April 1st, with schools reopening on Monday the 19th. The Friday before, April 16th, was the day Joshua had agreed to meet up with a 15-year-old lad to, quote, settle their differences. It's important to provide some context here, but just be aware that the precise order in which these events occurred is known only by those in attendance. Based on the information I found, this is what happened to the best of my knowledge. In the months leading up to April 16th, the two teenagers had a bit of beef, which seems to have been based on a misunderstanding. 
The 15-year-old was under the impression that Joshua had insulted him, as well as made some derogatory insults about a girl, possibly the lad's sister, which doesn't appear to be true. It's unclear whether Joshua was aware of the alleged beef because most sources indicate the aggressor and instigator was most certainly this 15-year-old. I will name him at the end of the story, but I want to keep things chronological and at this point in the reporting, his name was kept out of the media due to his age. Contrary to what the 15-year-old would later say about Joshua being the bigger boy when they met, he was, in fact, pretty much the same height as him, minus a centimetre, and they had the same build. They weren't a mismatch is the point I'm getting at. The following is a statement made by the 15-year-old after the events of April 16th, in which he explains, according to him at least, why he and Joshua had agreed to meet that day. It's because of what Joshua had said about a particular girl. I wanted to talk to him and discuss it with him, but he didn't want to know. In the run-up to the incident with Joshua, I'd heard that he and his friends had jumped a boy and that an alleged drug dealer had chased them off. They came to me and I said I would try and sort it out with Joshua and his friends. We spoke to them on the phone, but this ended up with all of us shouting at each other in a big argument. Joshua stated that he had anal sex with a girl on the phone which made me feel angry. I told him to shut up, but I couldn't hear what the others were saying as they were all shouting down the phone at the same time. Therein lies the supposed misunderstanding. That phone call sounds like it was a hectic one, with several people talking all over each other. The alleged insults thrown towards a girl, again who some claim was the 15-year-old sister, were completely taken out of context and led to the lad being angry with Joshua when he'd done nothing wrong. It wasn't even Joshua who'd said the alleged comments by all accounts. Leading up to their meeting, the 15-year-old had been posting concerning messages all over social media in which he explained in no uncertain terms what he planned to do to Joshua. A couple of examples of said messages, which as a warning include coarse language, were as follows. I'm fucking going out there tonight and I'm going to fucking murder the cunt if I see him. Another was. I'm going in the fucking pub tonight and I'm going to kick off and be like, where the fuck is he or else you're all getting stabbed. Seeing those messages, Joshua knew just how the lad felt about him and he fully expected a heated argument when they met and didn't rule out the likelihood of a potential fist fight. He had no idea his adversary would bring a concealed weapon. The concept of him doing so was likely a completely foreign to someone like Joshua. As the two exchanged messages around midday on April 16th, they agreed the best place to meet would be near the pavilion at the Cricket Club. Cam Sports Club is the home of Cam Bulldogs AFC, Cam Cricket Club and Cam and Dursley Tennis Club. Neither of the two wanted to turn up alone, so each brought a couple of mates with them to ensure they were outnumbered. Agreeing to meet at the ground between 1pm and half past, the 15-year-old arrived on the back of a truck driven by a local builder. According to him, as he walked up to the pavilion steps, he shouted, What have you been saying about the girl? Joshua then supposedly replied by asking him what he was on about, before a pushing match turned into a fist fight. Little did Joshua know that concealed in his waistband, the 15-year-old had an extremely sharp burning knife with a 5-inch blade. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. 
The entire exchange lasted less than two minutes and ended abruptly when the knife was withdrawn and used to slash at and stab Joshua multiple times. With those in attendance trying to comprehend what they'd just witnessed, a severely wounded Joshua clutched his stomach and managed to walk a few yards around the pavilion before collapsing on the playing field. The emergency services were called by one of the other teenagers present during the attack, who informed the call handler that Joshua had been stabbed and was bleeding profusely. They were told to place Joshua into the recovery position and that help was on the way. Both police and paramedics were sent to the scene, with the latter doing their utmost to save Joshua's life before transferring him to the nearest hospital. One paramedic, who arrived at the scene via air ambulance, performed an operation at the scene in an attempt to restart Joshua's heart. Such a procedure is only ever done as a last resort, which shows just how critical his condition was after the stabbing. He was eventually taken to Southmead Hospital in Bristol to be operated on further. Meanwhile, at the cricket pavilion, officers began speaking to witnesses and searched the surrounding areas. The 15-year-old was later revealed to have sent or received over 70 messages on his phone, including on the app Snapchat, to various people. He also messaged his girlfriend and informed her that he was going to prison. That was sent at 1.24pm, just minutes after he attacked Joshua. Eventually, he called 112, one of the UK's national emergency numbers, and informed the call handler during the two minutes they spoke that he'd stabbed someone. He then repeatedly said he didn't mean to do it. Around 30 minutes after Joshua was attacked, officers found the 15-year-old boy responsible and arrested him. When they asked where the knife was, he informed them that he'd ditched it in a bush by an alleyway just off the playing field. It was swiftly recovered and taken in as evidence. The arresting officers recalled the teenager saying, It was me. I did it, okay? I did it. I did it. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, honestly. Why did I do it? As he was taken into custody, the medical staff at Southmead Hospital worked on saving Joshua's life. The list of injuries he sustained was astronomical. The sheer volume of swipes made by the 15-year-old led to Joshua's clothes being torn in various places. Attempting to defend himself from the onslaught, Joshua raised his left hand during the attack, which led to the burning knife causing a cut so deep it went through the muscle and to the bone. In total, he had six serious stab wounds, including to his left arm and his abdomen. The next 11 hours were agonising for Kirsty and Michael, who were praying for their eldest son's survival. As they sat by his bedside, a group of doctors entered the room and informed them that nothing more could be done to save his life. He was being kept alive only by a life support machine, so his parents made the incredibly tough decision to turn it off. They didn't want to prolong his suffering. Kirsty recalled saying to Joshua, You are hurt so badly, Josh, and you will not come back from this. Go and be with your sister. I promise I will be okay. Don't worry about me. I took from that Joshua must have had a sister who passed away previously, but I struggled to find any more information about that. The monitors stopped at 1.05am on April 17th. Joshua passed away shortly after. A subsequent post-mortem conducted by pathologist Dr Edward Williams confirmed these six serious stabbings, although he was unable to tell in which order they'd been received. Dr Williams said, 
It was the horizontal stab that ultimately caused the fatal injury. The knife severed the main aorta to the heart, as well as piercing through the liver and taking a notch out of the vertebrae. The degree of force would have been moderate to have caused those injuries. The 15-year-old was questioned for a total of 36 hours before being informed that he was going to be re-arrested and this time charged with murdering Joshua. Despite previously admitting to having killed Joshua, albeit by saying he didn't mean to, the teen quickly changed his story so that it was more beneficial to his case. Wanting to appear as though the fight was instigated by Joshua and that he'd acted in self-defence, the 15-year-old said, The first thing Joshua said to me was a sexual reference to a girl that we both knew. I told him to shut up. It is clear he wanted a fight. He came over to me and started punching me. He hit me two or three times before I pulled the knife out of my waistband. I held it out and told him to back off. I had no intention of using the knife. I merely wanted to frighten him. He became agitated and even more aggressive. He just kept on coming at me. He punched me to my face and stomach at close quarters. I was trying to protect myself. I had no intention of using the knife on him and I can only think his injuries were inflicted accidentally. I merely wanted him to stop punching me. I was defending myself. He was much older and stronger than me. As I mentioned earlier, aside from being a couple of years younger, although he turned 16 not long after the incident, he and Joshua had pretty much identical heights and builds. There was also plenty of evidence that contradicted the lad's statement. CCTV footage showed him and his two mates arriving and leaving the club. The timestamps indicated the incident couldn't have lasted more than two minutes, meaning it was highly unlikely that enough time had passed for self-defence to be believable. Detectives were confident that the attack was planned. Analysis of the burning knife revealed that the 15-year-old's DNA was present on the handle, whilst also confirming the blood on the other end was Joshua's. Initially, four arrests were made in the aftermath of Joshua Hall being stabbed. Along with the boy who stabbed him, another 15-year-old, a 20-year-old and a 29-year-old were all taken in for questioning. I suspect the 15 and 20 year olds may have been the two who accompanied the boy charged with murder to the scene. The 29 year old was arrested on suspicion of murder and the supply of Class B drugs. A Gloucestershire police spokesperson said, The arrest follows information that was developed about another individual who may have been involved in Friday's fatal stabbing. A 20 year old man and a second 15 year old boy who were arrested last week remain released under investigation. I'm not quite sure what happened to the 29-year-old as well. The 15-year-old's murder trial was due to begin on October 11th, 2021 at Gloucester Crown Court, but the case prosecutor soon reported that he'd tested positive for COVID-19. The judge, Mr Justice Chamberlain, decided the best thing to do would be to discharge the current jury, made up of seven men and five women, and set a new trial date for the following week. With a new jury of eight men and four women being sworn in on October 18th, the trial could now begin. The defendant pleaded not guilty to Joshua's murder, and when asked about why he carried a knife, he said to him it was no different than carrying a mobile phone. It was an everyday object that he never left the house without. He said, If the knife is not in my bag, it's in my waistband between my joggers and my underwear, with the handle poking out the top. He claimed it had been given to him for his own protection in the aftermath of an incident which saw him confronted by a violent drug dealer who bundled him into a car and punched him in the face. 
That was about six weeks before he stabbed Joshua. I just wanted the knife as a backup, he said. This was a stupid decision in hindsight. I didn't know that I had stabbed Joshua until he lifted his shirt and showed me that he had been stabbed. During the trial, an alternative charge of manslaughter was added to the indictment, but he denied that too. On November 4th, the jury returned to the court after retiring for just over three hours. They found the defendant guilty of murder. Mr Justice Chamberlain said, In just one minute, the defendant and Joshua exchanged words, got involved in pushing and shoving each other, followed by the youth withdrawing his knife and stabbing his victim at least six times. This was followed by another exchange of words, after which the youth fled from the scene. On February 4th, 2022, the 15-year-old was sentenced to detention for life with a minimum term of 14 years. That was less the 291 days he'd already served in detention before the trial and while awaiting sentence. His parole eligibility date is August 3rd, 2035. Upon hearing the defendant apologise to her and Michael during the trial, Kirsty said after the sentencing, I do not accept your apology and I will never find forgiveness for the action you took on that day. On the same day he was sentenced, a court application was granted, meaning he could be publicly named. Joshua Hall's killer was Harley Demon, someone who reportedly had a good relationship with his family, made up of his mum, dad, sister and brother. Not a fan of school, Demon was excluded no less than eight times, four of those being for violence. Discussing his education, Demon said, I didn't really enjoy school. I found it quite challenging. When I didn't go to school, I obtained some work experience on building sites. At weekends, I would go out with the few friends I have and meet at the skate park or at the sports ground. Demon, who had a side hustle of selling vapes to his friends after buying them in bulk, was once part of a group of youths who ganged up on a boy and assaulted him. The incident was recorded on a mobile phone and shown to the jury during his trial. On April 16th, 2022, the first anniversary of Joshua's death, a tribute was held in memory of him at the skate park he so regularly visited with his mates. Organised by his close friend Jordan Sweet, the tribute at Jubilee Skate Park was followed by an evening candlelight memorial and the release of balloons into the night sky. Gloucestershire Police released a moving video tribute in memory of the boy missed so dearly by not just his friends and family, but by the entire local community too. And that was the story of the murder of Joshua Hall. Thanks again, anonymous listener, for requesting that case. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on it. We've covered quite a lot of controversial topics in that one. This week's new reviews are as follows. Karen Gilbert left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com. It reads, I found your podcast after catching up with my usual crime podcast and can't stop listening. I love the fact you go into detail, but not too much or too little, and you're thorough with your research. The interviews give a little break from the norm, which I love, and I've learned so much from them. I've even bought some of the books. Your accent is so sexy, and I'll always laugh when you try other accents. Keep up the good work, Stu. Cheerio don't think I have ever had my accent called sexy before. Lisa Wood left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com. It reads, Thank you so much for making the last few weeks a little more exciting. I stumbled across your podcast on Spotify, and in three weeks I've listened to all 11 seasons. We're on 12 now. Your podcast has reached Perth, Western Australia. 
Ian Griffiths left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com which reads, Been listening for a couple of years. Sorry I've not left a review sooner. I always look forward to catching a new episode. It really is one of the best out there. Keep up the good work. Send suggestions via the contact form. Be a nice surprise for everyone, hopefully. Keep up the good work. Not sure why Bobby gets so much stick. It's different and interesting when she's on. She's my favourite guest. Cheerio, Stew. Finally, Julie Harvley left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com. It reads, There are many good true crime podcasts out there, so it's not an easy task to stand out from the crowd. This one distinguishes itself and rises above the rest. In each episode, Stuart distills an incredible amount of information into an elegant, concise treat infused with compassion and even a bit of humour. His interview episodes are fascinating. I've learned so much from them. Thank you, Stuart. Your dedication, hard work and intelligent approach are greatly appreciated. Thank you, Karen, Lisa, Ian and Julie for leaving those reviews. If you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode, you can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. We're very close to a thousand ratings on Spotify now, so please keep those coming in. Please consider heading to patreon.com slash British Murders and signing up for a membership. If you choose my OBE or CBE tier, you'll gain early access to ad-free episodes. You'll gain access to several bonus episodes, as well as my British Murders weekly journal series. I also do Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and you'll get some thank you goodies for signing up too. Hello and welcome to my newest Patreon members, Susie D and Claire Weir. If you'd prefer to support the show on a one-off basis, just head to buymeacoffee.com slash britishmurders. You can email case suggestions to contact at britishmurders.com or message me on social media. When I cover your case, you will get a shout-out, unless you want to remain anonymous like the suggester of this week's case did. And that's it for another episode. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time... Cheerio.